We're in the midst of this blank page where that change has happened, where we can decide how will the future of work be? And I think the first thing for all of us to ask is, you know, how do we want it to be different? Because it can be. Welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. Every week, I'm talking to thought leaders around the world who are knee deep in their work, tackling some of the world's most difficult problems. And still, they think the future is bright for us all. We need to see what they see. We need to know what they know about getting around obstacles and finding opportunity in disaster, in setbacks. And, you know, we'll be able to live with a burning sense of excitement in what's possible, too. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of everwideningcircles.com and a constellation of other platforms that are shining a light on innovation going uncelebrated. Experience tells me there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But this is changing. And on this podcast, you'll hear from people who can teach us how they found their purpose and how they maintain a view of possibility that leaves them soaring with the spring in their step every day. So today, our guest is Sonny Grosso, a sought-after speaker, inspiring groups around the world who want to build positive work cultures. Now, this is a problem and a solution for our times. She's a chief of culture, no, the culture chief, for a wonderful organization called Delivering Happiness. And we're going to talk with Sunny about some of the things she calls sustainable happiness. Today, we're going to make a leap ourselves into creating a working life and a personal life that we all want to live. So welcome, Sunny. Thank you, Linda. What a lovely intro. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time and your efforts here with this podcast. Well, you know, that introduction probably falls far short of it, and it does fall far short of what I know about you, but I, I had to figure out something, expand on what I started there with the scope of your work, because I want people to know that they're in for a really nice 40 minutes here while we chat about all that's possible in sustainable happiness. Indeed. How can we ever encapsulate a whole human in an intro? I've been with Delivering Happiness since the beginning, and so I'm a founding employee. We are a consulting company that comes down from Tony Shea and the Zappos methodology. A lot of people have heard of Zappos, and Tony Shea has recently passed, so he's been in the news again lately as well, but he really helped to pioneer this idea of how do we use happiness as a business model? So instead of a traditional business model, what if we have the principles of happiness. So I've been studying happiness, well-being, and working with companies around the world for the past decade, and more recently have been kind of collecting those thoughts and turning it into more of an approach of holistic well-being. So I still consult with organizations and do keynotes and speaking, but I'm also, you know, diving deeply into how we approach more whole being well-being lately as well. And, you know, I think that it's easy on these kind of conversations to sort of brush over and assume everybody has the same definitions and the same outlook on stuff. So well-being, let's start there. What, what do you think a sense of well-being it contains? I'm sure there's loads of ways to approach this topic. What The way that we've approached it for the last 10 years is scientifically based. So our, our whole focus was let's go into the workplace, let's help people to create a different kind of work environment where their people can be happy because happy employees leads to happy customers and happy customers lead to a happy company. But more than that, more than just a simple equation about money, it also creates more fulfilling and meaningful lives. So what we've done is we've been looking at the last 30, 20, 20 plus years of research in the field of positive psychology and applying those tidbits to how we help humans and teams thrive in the workplace. And for a long time, very few people were doing that, but you know, now it's, it's catching up. You will hear 
instead of leaders coming out, you know, as maybe being, uh, you know, gay, they're coming out as closet meditators instead. So you hear about meditation, you hear about gratitude, you hear about a purpose much more in the world. So some of these concepts are getting a lot more attention these days, but there's a whole nother level to it as well, which is there's studying of the science and then there's applying it. And how do you actually embed it into your organization sustainably, as you mentioned? You know, I love your leaning on science. This is in a world where everybody has their own reality. You know, I always say the way the internet has panned out for us all, there are now 7.4 billion versions of reality. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the things we can agree on very often start in science. And this is one of the things that attracted me to your work. Sunny, I try very hard on this podcast to only interview people who have a history of rigorous intention. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can just suddenly pop off as a coach in happiness or a coach in this or that. If you haven't put in the time and really leaning on science for the work that you guys do is such a foundational place to start where we can all get pretty close to agreeing about how the human mind works, or or at least the principles that we understand today about how the human human mind works. Now, I want to tell everybody if they see me looking down, I've, I'm taking notes furiously through this conversation because I I was ready. I knew Sunny would say some things that we wanted to have in the show notes, and that's something I'd like to point out right here. You don't have to take notes of your own. We're going to be very good about the show notes. So if there's a point or a really wonderful quote that is inspiring from Sunny, by all means, jot it down. But you can go back and and look in the show notes. I'm going to try and catch everything. So Sunny, one of the first things you and I talked about, and it's, it's so important to our times, is this, this notion of positive work cultures mm-hmm. and what that means. So let's start with some definitions. Just throw a bunch of them out at me. And I know your definitions are based on science, but what does all this mean to yeah. you? Yeah, I think that's such a great point. You know, I think it was 2014 when culture was the word of the year. And since then it kind of exploded and, you know, it's been on CEOs, hearts and minds and really gotten a lot of so much attention that it almost doesn't mean anything anymore. It's almost been overused, I would say. So when we talk about a positive work culture, we're talking about the habits and the rituals, the ways that you interact. And that's the how of business. So you can think of it really simply as two streams. Say on one side, you have the stream of the what we do. That's the strategy. That's the planning. That's your KPIs, your OKRs. That's all the great stuff that you plan for your organization. And then think of this other stream on the other side as the how we do it. And that is the culture, the practices, the rituals. It's the way you speak to each other. It's the way all the work gets done, that how. And the thing is that both of those create results. If you are only focusing though on what you do, you are missing out on a huge opportunity, a huge impact to your business bottom line in terms of how you do it. And so what we've been doing is really thinking about how do we take this positive psychology, the science of happiness, take our learnings and lessons from that. We know how to make humans thrive. We know how to help teams thrive. And if we bring that into the workplace culture, to help humans thrive, that is a positive work culture. So it's about embedding practices that help us thrive, like gratitude that I've already mentioned to keep it simple. Let's say you have a gratitude practice in your life, or you wake up in the morning and you're a conscious person and you're meditating and you're setting your intentions for the day. In the workplace, there's also a place to do that, to bring in gratitude as a team, to focus on the positive that you're accomplishing not just the negative or the things that are broken that need to be fixed. So we build a positive work culture through all those pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what we're so used to are our work cultures where all we focus on is what needs to be, what's broken, mm-hmm. what needs to be fixed, yep. right? And it's not, you know, uncommon. It's, it's very logical that we do that. For a long time, you know, as humans, we've had to survive. So our survival instinct is very strong. You know, I've read that it's three times and five times stronger than our instincts to thrive. So it's that scanning of the environment for any threats, for anything negative, for the next challenge that we bring into the workplace as well. But if we only study the negative, or what's wrong, or our challenges. We'll get really good at overcoming our challenges and we won't get really good at knowing how to thrive, how to be successful, what created the best 
situation that we've had at work, for example. So we want to study and dissect our success as well. This is a lot like some things that a fellow Jim Lord, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, people can go back to that podcast. It's going to be, I can already tell it's going to be very much additive to what Sonny is talking about here. Because he makes the point that first you got to stand on what's working Mm -hmm. before you can start picking apart what's not working. I mean, your platform is what you're grateful for, is what everybody can agree is is stable and healthy and all that. Absolutely. And our mind pick up patterns. You know, they will start to see a pattern of one project finishing, looking for the negatives and the places to improve and going to the next one and going to the next one and going to the next one. Can you imagine how that will start to set in in terms of burnout or fatigue in the workplace? Those kinds of patterns can really draw us down after time. So we want to interrupt those patterns with positive breakthroughs as well. What did we do well? How can we capitalize on that? What are some habits to promote the good work that we have been doing to zoom in on the successes that we're having, for example? Okay. This is going in a direction. We, I wasn't going to ask you about surviving versus thriving. So we, we got far along, but we've mentioned it so many times. Let's define that. You know, I think we've all been through this period with the pandemic where surviving was good enough. Yeah. (laughs) But the world is opening up. Talk to me about surviving versus thriving. Yeah, I think that's such a great topic because, you know, we are really wired for that survival instinct. And as long as there's something in front of you to survive towards, our mind wants to catch that next goalpost. So, and if you are surviving, you're going to start to look to thriving. So you can think of Maslow's, right? The bottom, you know, is our basic needs. And as we start to move up that, then other needs start to come into play. So we have the instinct to survive. And we also have this instinct, though, to thrive. So, you know, we we get all this information coming into our brains and we can't process it all. So our brains pull out the information that's going to help us survive first. But what really positive people do who are better at thriving is they also pull out the information that's going to help them thrive. And what that does is over time, it puts us, basically, it points us in a direction. Let's imagine that it turns us to look at possibilities, probabilities, opportunities, and to capitalize on those. So if you are always in a survival mindset, you probably know people like this. You might know a negative Nancy, you know, to coin an old term or somebody who walks into any room. It could be Mother Teresa's room, right? And they go, oh, you know, those drapes are so old. There's something negative about every situation. And over time, those people can, you know, drag everybody down around them. But also, they're also carrying around a lot of their own baggage. So they may be stuck in that sort of survival mindset. And then we also know people who are, let's face it, we know people who are always optimistic too. Like, everything's great. Oh, the pandemic is great. I don't mind doing, you know, a little extra work. And those people are just like, let's be honest annoying. (laughs) They're disconnected from reality of the situation. And it can be dangerous because we don't see the threats in the environment around us. But we want to see the threats, of course, and we need to act on those. We also want to train our brains to look for possibility, opportunity around us. And over time, what that will do is it will broaden and build our resources, our psychological capacity, our capacity to adapt, and we can take advantage and capitalize on those opportunities in our environment more. So survival could just be as simple as thinking about it as a mindset. Mm -hmm. And a few things that you said in there that I'd like you to expand upon a little bit is this notion that our workplaces are going to provide us some place to thrive in the first place. I mean, you said several minutes ago, you talked about how cultures have rituals where if you start out with yoga in the morning and you're trying to be very mindful, you bring that to the workplace. And that I think that's assuming a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That we're going to all work in workplaces that support that kind of mindset. I think many of us probably feel like our workplaces challenge that mindset. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, luckily we are evolving and we're in a time of great change right now. So we're starting to see a lot happen. But yeah, there is an old sort of traditional way of thinking. You know, this old paradigm of work is that Work is a place that you come in, you put yourself aside, your needs, you put who you are even aside to join this greater goal that we all have together. And then you work towards that goal and your real life is outside of work. Mm -hmm. 
that has been turned on its head in the pandemic because instead of, you know, work fitting in life, you know, it's the other way around now. Work has to make room for life as well. It's not just work so you can have a life. So in positive organizations that really are conscious about the culture that they're creating, they are looking to see how are we affecting the people around us? How are we either lifting people up to do their best work or are we missing opportunities by, you know, micromanaging or taking away trust or control? And, you know, what happens is that that will result, that will, that will translate to your bottom line. So there's a strong business case for happiness and well-being and thriving in the workplace. Leaders know that. They've been on the business case for a while, but they can't really deny anymore that it's not just about making a few tweaks here or giving a meditation program in the morning. You know, it's much more about whole being, well-being. So leaders are really waking up in mass to this idea that it's the whole human that has to be provided a place that they can thrive. And that really comes down to thinking about what environment are we creating? Because we are just one person, you know, we're not two people, one person at work and one people at home. And the more that we can accept that, the more we can capitalize on the skills and the abilities that we bring into the workplace. So whole being is the new way to think about we're one being. Mm -hmm. This is so in line with a lot of positive trends that I've been seeing. I, I talk a lot about the opening of what I'm calling the gratitude economy. I'm just seeing this kind of exactly what you're talking about in different iterations popping up everywhere where people are really caring that the work environment is additive to people's lives instead of subtractive. Yes. And, and you know, like just to jump in there, I think some people have heard that we spend a third of our lives at work. It's half our waking time. So the most recent science says the single strongest determinant of your overall happiness is actually if you are happy at work. If you're not happy in that huge piece of your life, it's going to be hard to have happy relationships, to have a happy family, to have a happy life outside of it as, as in air quotes. You know, I recently created a position. I have a dental practice aside from ever widening circles, which really devote, I devote most of my time to, but my husband and I are both dentists and he's practicing there with, he's got 12 colleagues that have been with him for, oh gosh, most of us have been together for 20, 30 years. And the pandemic really revealed a lot of pain points for us all, especially those of us who really care about keeping the humanity and health there. So I thought, oh, should we hire another assistant? Oh, should we hire another front desk person? And, you know, <laughs> I created a position I call the chief happiness officer. And this job position, they, nobody gets it yet. <laughs> She's She's been at it for two months and she's really made some great strides in fixing many of our low-hanging fruit pain points for us all. Mm. But as we go, she is able to do that. It's her job to fix the pain points that nobody has time to really sort out. So talk to me about how businesses are or or if they should do more about caring about this whole ethos that runs through the culture, like the company really cares that everybody's happy. Yeah. Tell me more about that kind of commitment for management and leadership. Yeah. I love it that you brought that up. That's so insightful and right on right now. You know, we've been doing this lip service to the idea of, oh, bring your whole self to work for some time now. We've been talking about let's care for the employees. And we've even had some conversation about what it means. But now is we, we are really seeing that leaders have to wake up to the idea that well-being is essential for tomorrow's results. So, you know, if you think about what we've been through, so there's you can think about it in terms of BC before COVID and AC after COVID. But if you call it BC, AC, if you call it before, after, well, you, whatever you call it, it is a before and after event when so many things have changed in our lives that we are forced to sort of look at that blank page and to, it's hard to continue in our lives without change when so many things have changed around us. Huh. And with all of that, all of that change comes the need to continually adapt. And adapt, adaptability is a function of our emotional fitness. So if you are stressed out, burnt out, if you are tired, if you are caring for somebody at home, not getting the support that you need, you, you know, ha don't have the support that you need on your team, 
and you, you're trying to do your best work, it's going to be very hard. If you are supported, if you are emotionally stable, if your relationships are good, if you have an environment of people that you trust, that you have true friends at work who care for you, that you can talk to, if you feel in line with your purpose, then your resilience is higher and you can gap that adaptation bridge. You can actually adapt faster to make those changes. So I think really the message has gotten through to leaders that they need to do something different. And we're starting to see them experiment with different things, but it's not throw one thing over here. Let's try, you know, gratitude practice, or let's try some celebration or recognition on our, our team's call with our virtual teams and whatnot. Yeah. You know, all of those things are great, but it has to really also come down to the more of a holistic look at the organization. What are your leaders doing? What message are they sending? Are those messages in line with the lip service that's happening? And do your systems support it? Or if you're trying to pause and, you know, make more connections with your customers and your team, let's say, let's say you want to deepen your relationships at work, you're working on your customer service, but leaders have no time to walk the floors. They don't have any time to get out and visit them. So we have to look at the whole organization to see where we are enabling ourselves to care for the whole being. So in this whole being concept, I think leaders have to come down from on high. You know, one of the things about this chief happiness officer position that I, I really think is important is, is that it needs to be at the boardroom level. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a chief marketing officer, we have a chief, we have a CTO, we have a CFO, you know, that sends a big signal to everyone in the organization that marketing technology and finances are our top priority. What signal would it send if we had a CHO mm-hmm. at the boardroom level, making sure that we're walking our talk, making sure that our employees talk good about us out in the community, making sure they stay. I mean, have you seen that that companies that, that can get closer and closer to a happy culture um, have less less problem with turnover and all that? Tell us some of the benefits. Yeah. That really... Uh, it really boils down to this self-awareness of leadership. Self-awareness is a superpower, as we know, especially in the future as things we have more and more options. We need to understand ourselves better so that we can create the lives we want. And leaders who are unaware of the message that they're sending, their, their intention and their impact can easily be off. If we have aware leaders that are really thinking about their messaging, what's most important to them and supporting that all the way down, then you've got a much bigger advantage. One of the biggest mistakes in culture is do as I say, not as I do, or do as I say, not as I don't know even how you know I'm doing. So you can't assign culture to the HR team or your people team or yeah, you need to embody it and live it. So it's a top down and bottom up, you know, they both have to work together, but it really starts from the top. And it really starts with that leader's mentality and mindset of, you know, how am I embodying these principles? Because if you don't believe for yourself that you're living your values, that this is really who you want to be, that you are emulating something that is truly meaningful to you, then it's just a job to model that. And you're going to forget and slip. So one of the things that we do when we work with organizations is make sure leaders are personally connected and committed to what is inside of them that's meaningful about this organizational change. And leaders, I mean, this is one of the great things about the pandemic. It was a leveling process for all of us. Mm-hmm. There was not one of us who knew how life would go through the pandemic or could predict what their company would ex- experience or whatever. So I think that this is a good time for these kind of cultural experience experiments, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's really when things fall apart that we have the most opportunity for change. I've been studying change also for the last, I'm fascinated by human change. And my mother was a psychologist and she loved to shrink me, you know, so to say. And I studied psychology as well before I became a coach and consultant. And we get hooked on our habits. We get hooked on our identities. And the real biggest catalyst for change is when paradigms 
are transforming around us, when we have sweeping change that we almost don't recognize where we are anymore. Think about the last time you went on a trip. Think about when you went to Europe or you were out of your environment and how easy it was to change your eating habits or the time you woke up or any of those things. So we're in the midst of this blank page where that change has happened, where we can decide how will the future of work be? And I think the first thing for all of us to ask is, you know, how do we want it to be different? Because it can be. And not to fall into the trap of slipping back into our habits and routines. There's some research on, you know, how long it lasts when you come back to work after a vacation or after a major external life event, how long you have to create sustainable change in your life. It's about three months. So the opportunity is here now for us to say, how can work be that place that lights us up and that fuels you know, our well-being for the rest of our lives and start to make those changes now. Ah, oh, this is great. Okay, so we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and get some practical tips from Sunny about how we do just that. Because that's the life. I think more and more these days, people want a whole life, as you're referring to, where their working life is in sync with the way they want their personal life to feel as well. So Sunny, you and I had a short conversation last week before this podcast, because I wanted to really understand your work better. And I got some terms that I want you to, to talk to us about, because I found some real practical insights related to these terms that you can share with us, like in, in a kind of a what do we do next? You know, feel free to pontificate and then tell us what we got to do next. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I loved this concept of redesigning the workplace to be a natural extension of who we are. Mm -hmm. Can you drill down into that a little bit more and then tell us some practical tips on how exactly we do that? Yeah. Now that, you know, some people call it the great resignation and I think of it as the great reset because of the opportunity to reset our lives, reset our priorities and what's important to us. And People have been through this before and after event, you know, BCAC or whatever you want to call it. And either we've had time to slow down to think about what's important to us, or some of us were in a pressure cooker, right? Of that ultimately led to the same impact of working so hard that we came to say what's really important. But either way, we've come out of this having done the work in that non-productive time that actually is a very productive internal business of what our internal priorities are. So as we come back into the workforce more clear on what those internal priorities are, we're saying, you know, in terms of the great resignation, we're saying, no, I don't want to go back to that job that pays me minimum wage and work 60 hours, you know, overworked and underwhelmed with how I feel at the end of the work week, at the end of the month. So we're seeing more motivation to create that change. And I think, you know, one of the best things that we can do is lean into these lows. I, you and I also talked about highs and lows a little bit and being happy and thriving. It's not, it's not all about highs all the time. Nobody's on a high all the time. And if you are, we have this thing called hedonic adaptation, which you will adapt. And, and then you may be in an apathetic high all the time where you start to disengage. You might know some stars that look like that or people who seem like they have it all and they look a little bit disengaged with their own lives, like nothing truly sparks them. So the lows are this opportunity for us to dive into the shadow, dive into ourselves and actually identify what is it that isn't working for me here? What is the messaging? What can I take and learn from this? That's a, It's a huge opportunity to learn about ourselves. So it's not the high or the low, it's how we relate to it. And if we treat it mm. as I'm here to understand something about myself, then we can have our sort of crucible moments. Those moments where you everything can change for you. You have an understanding suddenly of, I want to spend more time with my family. I have a son I haven't, I'm, I've been estranged from, and I've gotten to spend time with him over this pandemic. And that's more important than working 60 hours a week, for example. This is, and there are countless examples like that. This is a good reminder uh, before the, the opportunity slips away. That, that is what you said a few minutes ago about how long we have to kind of stay in, in at that peak mindset of awareness before we slip back into our old habits. Yes. Are there are there things that we can do? Maybe this is in your scope or maybe it's not. Have you noticed there are things that we can do that become you know con new habits or constant reminders to mm -hmm. pause and think of things in, in the terms of what we learned during the pandemic? 
Yeah. You know, there's highs and lows, there's pleasure, there's pain, there's pain, there's praise, there's blame, there's all of it in our lives. And one of the best things that we can do is not run from that. When we are there, just be there and ask yourself, what is a message in this moment right now? You know, otherwise we can spend our lives trying to run and numb from it. I was just in Las Vegas for my birthday and sometimes numbing is very fun, but if we do that for too long, we'll miss the messaging in it. So if we lean into that and we start to understand more about who we are, then we are in a really great position to live a happier life. You know, I think it was uh, Carl Jung who said the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. So leaning in and understanding what it is that really drives you out of the lows into the next highs. So you can actually plot out your highs and lows in life. Look for the values that were there. Look for the themes, the people that were present or absent. Look for, could you be yourself in that moment? Look for the learnings and then look for those at work. You know, once you have a sense of your values, which are, that word's been overused too, but think of it as your core beliefs, as the core of who you are, then you want to live them, breathe them, talk them, work them, you know, sing them, embrace them in your life and in work and make sure that you're around people that you can do that with. Because one of the biggest strains on our energy and our well-being is having to put the mask on, not feeling we can be ourselves, having thinking that we have to show up as someone else. Do you think people actually have the vast majority of people are in work environments where they have agency over that, though? If your desk mate or your cubicle mate or your team, for instance, I've studied a lot of management in our dental practice over the years. Mm-hmm. And all the New York Times bestseller books on business. And I remember in one of the best practical guides that we ever studied as a dental team, there was this part about <laughs> how one person attitude can control the whole day. Yes. And you become very person dependent instead of systems dependent. Like the productivity, the energy, the happiness, everything can get sucked out of the room because you become so one person dependent Mm. talk to us about because these are the sticky practical situations we all we all find ourselves in i don't disagree with one thing you're saying i mean you're talking about the ideal world of the future where probably where we're headed i'm pretty sure you 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 would agree that you see enough light in the tunnel that you say we're going to get there I have seen organizations do it. So yeah, yeah, I think you you bring up such a great point. One of the things that I always want to do is help people see what it could be. That's the first question to ask yourself. What can it be? I have seen and worked with organizations that have created an environment with people that had so much psychological safety and friendship and positive relationships that they could weather any storm. Of course, organizations go through hard times. I have also seen organizations with people who are so purpose-driven. And now you do have to be careful of that in healthcare, particularly there can be purpose burnout. And, you know, so you have to also build your resilience and your support networks. But we cannot control all the politics around us in the world. And, you know, I think we all have had experiences in our lives. Linda, I know you and I both have that we couldn't control all the things happening around us. My parents divorced when I was very young. My mother remarried a woman. They both, she left, you know, they both ended up actually spending some time in prison. I was left by friends after that, found myself left alone a lot. And one of the things that I was really driven to do is to create that that world that I wished I had to create the family and the friendships that I wished I had. And at delivering happiness is where I started to see maybe this is possible. And so we have been helping companies build this place where you can create the environment that you wish the world was. And if you base it on values and beliefs and purpose and a uniting vision around that purpose that draws people together, if you take care of your leadership and your people, then you can create that place. And, you know, some that still is lofty, but I just wanted to start there. But, you know, you mentioned you mentioned relationships. Relationships are one of the most consistent, let's say pieces of research out there about your happiness and well-being. We are social creatures. Yes, that one bad apple can drag everybody down because you are always infecting others or affecting them. You can infect them with your negativity or affect them with your positivity. So we have to all be aware of our relational and emotional wake 
but we also want to encourage friendships at work. So how do you do that? How do you encourage friendships, but you know, not have that bad apple that's dragging you down? How do you live your values? How do you take the mask off and be yourself, right? So the way that we approach it and that we found has really been working is to build, build a values-based organization. Define who you are and you want to attract and repel with your values. You want to be specific about exactly what you believe and what your purpose is. And you want people to say either I belong there or I don't, you know, for one of the biggest examples is Zappos. They had a zany wild culture there that not everybody fit in on. One of their values was be a little bit weird. And so they would actually ask people in interviews on a scale from one to 10, how weird are you? And, you know, it would give people the sense right away that I don't know if I'm going to fit in to a place where people are wearing crazy outfits and doing jello shots and, you know, celebrating with, you know, wigs on through the middle of the work day. <laughs> so understand who you are, create your values to reflect that. And then you can start to build the connections and the coherency around your organizational culture based on those foundational pieces. Okay. Oh, there's so many things <laughs> that I need to ask I you. I said about. a lot there. <laughs> yeah. I love this attract or repel with your values. I remember a, a, a business that you might know about this better than I do, but I, I think it's one of, when I heard this story, I thought it was one of the most important strokes of genius that I'd ever heard. So was it Zappos that had a policy where they would hire people? And then after, I think it was two weeks, maybe three, they would offer them $5,000 to quit or some mm -hmm. incredible amount of money. Yes. And their rationale was, we're going to spend $10,000 training this person. And if it's not a good fit, all the while we're spending that money, they're going to be still looking for another job. Yes. So you might as well challenge them after two weeks to commit. Mm -hmm. They're going to you take the it. money. Okay. So that, am I right about that? Talk yeah. That was known as the quitting bonus and Amazon picked it up and another of other organizations as well. And you know, when we can, we consult or speak on things like this, it's not about copying any of these other organizations. There are, you know, Zappos is one of many great organizations. We can talk about Google. We can talk about, you know, LinkedIn. We can talk about, you know, organizations in different sectors, but it is about allowing your people the autonomy to create that culture and supporting it. You know, earlier you said leaders have to wake up on a different level. Leaders also need to be followers in culture. So giving the trust and autonomy for your people to build your culture and following that first person who does something that you see is good is going to create many leaders in your culture. If you don't do that as a leader, you're going to be shouldering the weight of that culture yourself, and it's not going to be sustainable. So you want to create many little champions out there that can carry it for you. That is super lovely. You can see how much I'm writing here today. <laughs> so great. Okay. So I just, there's so many topics I don't want to forget to talk about today that I want to look really quickly. Okay. So in this world where we're, where we're having expectations for others, where we want to be happy so bad, we wish that other person would change and then we'd be happy. We wish this thing would happen at work and then we'll be happy. We wish we got a raise because then we could buy that thing and then we'll be happy. There's this, ha I'll be happy when. It's so easy. We all slip into it. Talk to us about the antidote to that way of thinking. Yeah, it's the biggest lie on the planet. <laughs> you, I think you captured that one. I'll be happy when I get, you know, we see it all the time. It's in marketing and advertising around us everywhere. Our, me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a millennial, I'm a Gen Xer, but my parents told me that too go to a good college, get good grades, get out and get your job, and then you'll be happy. And when that didn't happen for me, it was where my journey really began. And maybe for a lot of us, it's began there. Now there's not just midlife crisis, there's quarter life crisis and everything. So I think we're waking up to it faster, but you can easily get on that hedonic treadmill of let me just get that next promotion. Let me just get this and then I'll be happy. And what happens when you get there? When you got a new car, were you happy for the rest of your life? No. So we adapt and we have to also look at what is a stimulus for that happiness. So there's internal or intrinsic happiness and there's external. So those are external piece things that we're after usually, you know, the car, the job, the promotion. And I think almost everybody knows has known at some point someone who has 
all of those things. Okay. First house, the second house, the boat, the first okay. wife, the second wife, the first husband, the second husband. You know, however you want to think about yeah. it. They I know so. Yes, I and know so many. Yes, yes, I love how I you're smiling so here, you know? And I have people come up to me all the time. I was just giving a talk in Florida and it was at a banker's convention. And um, this guy looked like he had everything in the world. He, I heard him talking about his yacht at one point. And he said, you know, Sonny, there's just something missing. I'm listening to your talk and, 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 and I know there's a voice in me saying there's something more. So if we are pursuing happiness externally, we are always going to be looking for something else. The only way that we can actually get to that, you know, destination, which that's an air quotes for those of you who are listening, because it's not a destination, but the place that we can rest in that happiness is when it's internal. It is not something to be chased and pursued relentlessly. It is about turning inward. And a lot of people are disillusioned with that process. They think that they deserve to be happy or because they know what it feels like it should just fall in their lap. It is a practice, just like anything else that you decide you want to get good at. You can also decide you want to get a good at happiness and you can change your brain. You know, it's about 90% of happiness is within our control, but a 50%, about 40% is within our immediate control. The other 50% is more difficult to do. That's about changing your mindset. Things like mindfulness and meditation can help with those, but it's work to do that. And we have to take a good, hard look at our intentions and say, do I just think I want to be happy? Or am I wearing the rose colored glasses saying, yeah, I want to be happy. It also means turning into those darker moments, the lows in life, seeing who we are and changing the way that we look at the world around us internally. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's the work that probably most of us need to do. Sunny was referred to, uh, for, referred to some childhood tragedy that she experienced. She and I had that conversation. I have a childhood tragedy as well. And what I've noticed in my, you know, my dental practice, because we have this dental practice full of full of friends. We, we, my husband and I practice in a very deep way with our patients. We just don't run around on roller skates. We spend time with people. And, and Chuck and I are beginning to think that about 80% of us have a childhood tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to look at it like this, like some people carry their burdens better than others. Mm-hmm. Some burdens are easier to carry than others, not necessarily one burden worse than another or bigger than another. It's just, it's those two variables some are, are easy, easier, harder not to wear on your sleeve. Mm-hmm. Some burdens are times bring up. That, that's a whole nother thing that the workplace can trigger. So, you know, we might think we are, we are so cool headed. We got this down, man. Nobody knows about our tragedy. Nobody knows how broken we are in this little aspect. And then our work environments can be built so almost diabolically oppose opposing our best impulses they can they can trigger our worst instead yeah yeah i think work can be that opportunity to reinvent yourself positively as well not just a place to escape and to say i'm going to be somebody else here but you can see who you are when you're surrounded with people who admire you, respect you, come to you for friendship, for your opinion on things. And you may not necessarily feel like that in your life. And that's where that switch, that flip can happen that we mentioned earlier, where work is really the single strongest determinant of your happiness overall. If you have a great experience at work, people respect and admire you, you are taking time to build relationships with your patients, then that's going to support your life at home and your challenges. So we're all going to have those deep-seated challenges. You know, uh, you, you mentioned 80% of people have had some really traumatic event, and we deal with it differently, of course. If we don't, you know, turn into it, understand it, and, you know, turn it into a part of our experience, that will continue to come back. And some are stickier than others, and sometimes that's your journey in life. Mm-hmm. I think you know, I'm not just a consultant. I haven't just studied happiness. I'm also a yoga teacher. So I also, you know, have studied the spiritual aspect of this. Mm. And I believe that those parts of us are sometimes our journey to play out and to understand in life. So if it's sticky, you know, think of how you're looking at it. First of all, are you looking at it as, oh my God, I can't get away from this. I can't figure this out. Or as there's still something here for me to learn. I have to make a note of that because that is the gist of it right? There's still something here. If it's sticky, then there's still something here for me to learn. Mm -hmm. I sometimes say something similar. I say, 
a lot of the things that the stories we tell ourselves, a lot of the stories we tell ourselves about the other, about our boss, about our teenagers, whatever, is set because we, we, we had these events that happened and then we didn't manage the meaning of them. We just let the meaning just crop up on autopilot in our mind. And the we can, is gone and we move on, right? <laughs> and we could have been so wrong about what that event actually meant about someone else or, or how it relates to us. So it sounds to me that a lot that you're giving people the tools to really pause and manage the meaning of things in a way that's going to get them a lot more frequently good outcomes. Yeah. And approaching it from the scientific place of here are, you know, the main elements of your happiness, your, of your well-being at work. Let's talk through these. Let's choose some of these to implement in your workplace is a roundabout way of helping people evolve spiritually to sound very California for a moment. And your readers should know I am in California, but I'm a New Yorker at heart. So you'll, you'll get both here. But if we want to help people to evolve and to become happier in their lives, the workplace is actually a brilliant place to meet them to do that. It's someplace that yeah, you're expected to grow and to challenge yourself. And wow, you know, you mean to tell me that a training and well-being at work is going to make me more efficient and productive, therefore help me be a better worker. You can start there. And then oftentimes what happens is it actually turns around because if you're not affected personally, then we're talking about external motivation again. And as soon as external motivation is gone, so is your desire to reach it. So internally or intrinsically motivating people is how we create sustainable change. That means you have such a desire to do something that you're going to pursue it, even when any external stimuli support you or not. That's like purpose is a very strong internal driver, right? So my job is to help people connect with those internal drives for what um, is going to support their happiness and well-being. Not just teach them, hey, it's about relationships. Think about the depth of the relationships that you have versus the breadth. We can talk about that. We can talk about how the depth of relationships are more rewarding, how they're going to support your resilience more, how they're going to help you become a better leader. But really, it has to matter to you to say, you know what? Relationships are one of my values. That means a lot to me. I'm not actually spending time supporting my relationships. So my my compass, my internal compass on what's important to me, relationships and my clock, what I spend the time on, the compass and the clock is how we often talk about it. They're off. So how do I align that? I'm driven to do that now. And what organizational change is simply is change on a, uh, individual change on a larger scale. So we are helping people make those changes in the workplace. All right. I love this clock and compass analogy. That's a really good mental image for folks listening to this podcast to think about from time to time. I, I, I have two TED Talks and one of them are TEDx Talks and one of them is called The Power of the Pause. Mm-hmm. So you're going to, I'm going to add, I'm going to add something from you from now on when I talk about the pause. I think if we can pause long enough to think about the clock and the compass, mm-hmm. think of the power that we could harness in, in our lives to be able to, con- to create the future we want rather than just run around an autopilot. And, I love and, that right? And be at the mercy of just sort of like the next event, the next event of the next event. Yeah. And you know, Linda, I would say that pause is uh, really crucial. I, I love that, that concept. I'm going to have to go and rewatch your talk, which I have watched a while ago, but we are constantly going to be challenged with unlearning and letting go of who we are not in order to access that compass. So it's a daily practice of letting go of who you are not when the whole world and everything around us is telling you who you're supposed to be, what you should embrace. Yes. So that that pause is really key. Yes. And that is so, what you just said was letting go of who you are not reminds me of one of the problems about social media that I hear people complaining about a lot is that it's comparison without context. Mm. It's almost, I had a, a great gal, Julia Parsec, who was on the, the podcast with me, who is a big advocate of just getting a grip on this body image problem that we have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's a robust woman and lo- absolutely fabulous. But she said she's just stopped. She just stopped following. She unfollows people all the time who make her feel kind of a pain in the pit of her stomach because she's not good enough. 
or she doesn't meet some standards of whatever. And I think that's letting go of who we are not is a really nice practical tip. Yes. Think about, I love your example. Think about who you feel like you have to be someone for. Mm. When you're around this person, do you put on airs? Are you not sure if you want to bring one of your closest friends to meet this friend because you're not sure how they will get along or who you are in the presence of both of them? So I, I took a pause when I first, you know, I've developed a lot of the content um, also at Delivering Happiness. And so this idea of the compass and the clock came from one of our old, old coaches and, you know, we've evolved it over the years. And so I've done this exercise a number of times, but the first time I did it, I realized uh, one of my, my values is true friendship as well. And I thought, well, what am I spending my time on that supports friendship? And I realized nothing. I was playing it small. I, I've been left so many times in my life that I didn't want people to say no, that they didn't want to hang out or be my friend because uh, it just brought up that old wound, you know? So it takes a lot of courage to do this. And what I did in that situation is I said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm a Virgo and I'm very organized. And I said, I'm going to make a friendship plan. <laughs> so I oh, actually I made that. a plan. I said, who are five people that I would, that I'm really interested in being friends with that I want to know more that I want to spend time with that I can mentor that could mentor me even. And I wrote down those five people. I started there and I reached out to one per week. And that was my friendship plan. And it kicked off this whole different way of looking at friendships. But, you know, courage is required for these changes. And that's why earlier I was, I was saying, you know, we do have to take a hard look at ourselves and what we're willing to do to be happy. Mm. Some people may get attention for being the grumpy one in the room. That's who they are. That's how I am now. Maybe, maybe I don't really want to make those changes, you know, and it, it requires us actually having to muster up the courage at times to say, wow, friends are so important to me. Why am I shying away and playing it safe from friends and from friendships in my life and to step up and do that? One quote that comes to mind real quick, and then you see, you're going to have something great to say, the top regret of the dying. Some of your re- your listeners may know this. It is, I wished I'd had the courage to live a life that was true to myself and not the life that others wanted for me. So in the future, to be your true self, to really be, if you're serious about becoming happier and thriving, courage required. I'm writing as fast as I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. I still a lot there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, all right. So let me, we, we have gone all different directions than our little plan, yes. <laughs> which is fine. Okay. So let's narrow things down. Like if there's one thing that you could tell everybody to start doing today, that's just like a serious practical tip to start putting some of the, the perspectives that you've added to our lives here today. If there was one thing, a practical tip that people could start today after they listen doing, and maybe it's something we pay attention to, or maybe it's something we don't pay attention to. Maybe it's something we start asking of others. Maybe it's a, just give us one practical tip that can start us on an, a better journey that's more satisfying in this life. It's always so hard to choose one. I but, know. Uh, I will do. Take three. I don't care. Sure. There's about five core elements of our happiness in the workplace. So one that's really important right now and present in the hearts of most people is the idea of a sense of autonomy and control. And, you know, happiness begins and ends with the understanding that some things are within our control and some things are not. Maya D'Angelo says, if you're unhappy with something, change it. Or if if you can't change it, adapt. She has some great quote like that. But I think... we are realizing how much is not in our control. The world has gone really from, it's gone from like complicated. It's been complicated for a while. And that means there's many moving parts and moving pieces, but you can plan around complicated and it's gone to complex and the complexity is constantly changing. And all of those moving parts, you can't necessarily deter predict what's going to happen. And that leaves us feeling less in control. Now it gives us more opportunities. There's more opportunities than ever in that complex world uh, because you can't predict them. But we also have to acknowledge that there's some things within the sphere of our control and that there's some things that are not. Now we all get into the mindset of, I wish I could do this. I want to do that. Oh, if only we could do that. Oh, why did that? You know, so just look at your mindset. You know, when I first started this work, I did a 30 day challenge 
on ev- on awe. So just bringing my mindset into a place of awe. Oh, and every, every day I would document a moment where I would look for awe. And I, the first thing I noticed is, gosh, I'm not in awe often at all. (laughs) Most so getting aware of where your mindset is, is a great place to begin. You can set a timer throughout your day. Uh, sometimes I do that every 30 minutes. For example, when I'm working, I just see where my mindset is, or you can start in the mornings. So one way to change your mindset is to, there's this really simple thing I use all the time. It's called AAA, accept, appreciate, awe. So first notice where your mindset is, take a deep breath, close your eyes, do just a, a quick moment, feel the breath coming into your body. That's a little mindfulness or meditation practice, right? All it takes is one breath to calm, to center yourself and identify one feeling or one emotion. Then challenge yourself. Maybe it's 30 days of wonder. For example, what is uh, something that is going on right now that you can accept? Maybe you don't have control over it. I accept that there's political challenges going on in the world. I accept that there's litter. I accept that I have to be on Zoom for my meetings. I appreciate, and then find something to appreciate. I appreciate that there's actually, you know, people fighting, fighting politically. I appreciate that there are programs to help the environment. I appreciate I can still do my work and then elevate it to awe. Wow. All of these people in this world with different political views are actually out there able to express them. Wow. We have come so far in our understanding environmentally or wow. I'm actually doing my work from my home in my pajamas <laughs> and I'm actually in my yoga clothes right now. So <laughs> elevate your mindset, notice it and then elevate it. And I, I know I'm getting a little detailed here, but there's so much research behind it. Just those few steps, noticing and elevating brings you into control and you want to be the author of your destiny. And that is real, that is real power and happiness. So there's one tip. <laughs> that is what I wanted you to, to share with us before we part. That is a great way to literally create the future you want to see in the world. That is that that's what we're we're working at ever widening circles to do is shine a light on people like you and and all these thought leaders who who can still feel like there's a bright future no matter the level of problems they're trying to solve. It's because they do just what you described. So I hope everyone gives that a really good try. I wrote as fast as I can. I'm, I'll, I'll make sure I put as much detail in the show notes, but that's a section worth listening to. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. So Sunny, if there's if there's an ideal place for people to connect with you, to get to stay on the Sunny train, to just keep on expanding their notions. Where should people connect with you? Where can they find you? <laughs> I love the way you put that. Uh, yeah. Sunny at deliveringhappiness.com. And it sounds a little cliche, I know. So maybe that will help you remember it, but it's sunny as you and why, like uh, maybe hopefully it is in your world right now. And it's at deliveringhappiness.com. I also teach yoga in San Francisco. As I, I mentioned, it's sort of like a, a way that I continue to practice my own internal approach to all of this. So if anybody's in San Francisco, you can find me at Yoga Flow, Yoga Flow SF. That's a whole other world that we could talk about sometime about what that has brought to your life, I'm sure, the yoga aspect of things. I would relish yeah. that conversation. Yeah, so, okay. I'm just gonna, we'll, we'll circle back very, very soon. Sounds good. So thank you so much. You know, for more information about anything that Sunny and I mentioned, we were mentioning some great thinkers that have some amazing quotes that are worth pinning on your board and looking up from time to time. Anything like that, that Sunny and I mentioned is going to be in the show notes and her contact information will be there too. So no worries. So um, remember that Sunny is one of those, these people who is a guide to what's possible for all of us. And if you'll join us at the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit on October 10th, you're going to get to meet four more who are changing what's possible for all of us. And I hope to see you there. Stay positive every day. It's it's a choice, just like Sunny has been, been pontificating about. We see it from our angle at Everwinding Circles. Everwinding Circles, of course, visit there. It's like having the antidote to the daily news in the palm of your hand if you get our app. And you can choose what to give your attention to. There are people, there are people like Sunny out there and uh, we'll do our part in elevating their work and their insights. So thank you, Sunny. Any part parting thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, you were just inspiring me with what you were saying. You know, there's a quote I'll leave you with, which is imagine, create and believe in your universe and the universe will form around you. So that was a mystery sage to Tony Shea, our, our co-founder who recently passed. And, you know, I'd like to share that in memory of him, but also for everyone to imagine, create and believe. And although it can sound light, what you need with that is places like ever widening circles. You need the support network around you. So please do don't miss this opportunity to reimagine what your work and what your life can be. And then uh, reach out and get that support that you need. We're here. Thank you so much. Well, we're all coming together. I didn't mention today that we we are we are starting a social media network, the first one that has a little bit of a bump in the road, so we can leave all the mean people behind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's going to be a place where people will connect around good intention, like you and I are talking about today. So check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Network as well. Okay, Sunny, have a great day. I've smiled so much today, my face hurts a little. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Okay, have a great one.